know what that means? Everything. Anglo fees. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody. It's lunchtime, and this is episode 60 of Anglo Fees. I know it's 60 because this is our 60th episode. That's how that works. Hi, I'm Raiden, and I'm a little loopy. <laughs> Hi, I am the Petri Dish, formerly known as Alina. I and I'm Kaylee, and I really need a drink, but it's too early. No such thing, you're in Scotland. It is not too early where you are. Let's what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> we calculate the time difference, don't lie to me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I have work to do after this. Supposed to be, I, can't be a, I can't be a drunk writer. What a, such a cliche. Uh, write drunk when it's sober. <laughs> Isn't that what they say? Yeah, that's right. Write drunk, edit sober. So this month we are talking about cooking shows and not just like shows that show up on the Food Network, but also shows that involve cooking. So Hannibal which we haven't actually talked about for a while, is Fair Game. Um, like, everybody's favorite cooking show is The Great British Bake Off, and it has come back with its new host and half a new judge. What do we think? It is literally the same show. Like, it is the same show. I mean... I, I got ready to watch it and I had all these ideas that they were just going to, you know, completely shake up the formula or it was going to be, you know, retooled to be full of product placement or stuff because it's on Channel 4 and they can do that now in a way the BBC couldn't. Or it was going to be uh, much more meaner or more competitive. And it's the exact same show. The only difference is there's one new judge and there are two hosts that aren't Mel and Sue, who are still very charming. So I can't even get yeah, mad. I, I, think we're almost, I, I think we're almost all mad that it isn't different. Because yeah, then like, people would have a reason to dislike the show. And it's just the same show. And it's still very watchable and very lovable. But, you know, I think people had the, you know, their, their, their loyalties to the BBC. And I certainly do have my loyalties to the BBC. Uh, I think we, we don't support it anywhere near as much as we should in this country. It's become kind of a scapegoat for a lot of things, fairly or otherwise. So I think a lot of people were rooting against Channel 4 because they paid so much money for this program. And then it's just the same show and we all still like it. It's like they were like, they looked at it and went, let's aggressively, like very aggressively do the exact same thing. And that way no one's going to be mad at us. But that's the thing is, it's also not, it was never a broken formula to begin with. Right. The only difference was Love Productions just wanted more money and they got it. Uh, apparently, you know, this, the show has two official sponsors, uh, Dr. Utker, her like the baking products company. And, um, uh, it's Lyle's Golden Syrup, I think it is. Uh, mm. And apparently, there were other companies that looked at it and they said, "Oh no, we couldn't afford it." But you know, they're clearly doing very well out of it. But it's not intrusive or anything, you know. Right. There's no advertising in the show itself. 
the show itself is even the same length. It's still an hour-long show, but it now has gone to hour 15 because they've put the breaks in. But you barely mm. feel it. It just gives you a chance to go to the toilet. <laughs> yeah. So I enjoyed it. Like, I couldn't it's, even be mad. It, It's like... In in a world of actual crises, the attempt to manufacture this one was just like, come on, guys. Basically, I mean, even, you know, the hosts who were a little shaky at first because they're not a natural double act. Anyway. You know, Mel and Sue have been a double act for over 20 years now, whereas mm-hmm. Sandy Toxvig and Noel Fielding aren't. They'd never worked together, but I actually find them really charming together. Someone described it as being like the kindly brown owl who's taken in the rebel raven. Oh, that's totally true. Uh, but I appreciate that Noel Fielding seems genuinely really giddy to be presenting this show. He's just very excited yeah. to be in the tent and wearing these fabulous shirts and trying desperately not to compare everything to genitalia. <laughs> I am a little behind because um, my life has been a little crazy the past couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the new hosts, whose names I'm sure I'll learn at some point, (laughs) maybe, probably not, to be honest, are, like, cognizant of the legacy they are dealing with and are doing their best to live up to it without, like, imitating it, without being a cheap imitation. I feel like everybody is trying very hard not to piss anybody off. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think even Paul Hollywood, before the Nazi picture leaked, because um, mm-hmm. we've all been there, apparently. I guess. Uh, I think even he has clamped down on being the, like, the stern semi-villain of the piece, because I think he realized he lost a lot of goodwill when he did go off with the show and didn't stay loyal to the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as uh, Ruby Tando from a couple of seasons back called him a peacocking man-child, <laughs> which was brilliant. <laughs> I love her. I just love how she gives absolutely no shit. It's amazing. Yeah. So I definitely understand it from that point of view. I think we're all just, we're sort of hoping for something wildly different because then we would have a reason to kind of hate the show more, but it's just the same show. So, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Still charming. Still things that some of us say, yeah, I, I would totally bake that. Although I am going to try a damp noodle at some point. I'm looking for uh, a historic recipe because we know that it existed in some form in the 17th century. But right now, all of the recipes that I've been able to find are modern. I also don't read German, which is making this harder. But someday I'll find it. I also know people who read German, so I may have to outsource a little bit. That's the steamed bun thing. The ridiculous steamed bun thing. I'm going to do it. It'll happen. (laughs) It'll be great. I feel like anytime you see a historical recipe, you turn into Steve Irwin going, I'm going to wrestle it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Hey, 
my my plan for when I'm in London in two weeks ah, is um, I'm definitely going to be eating grouse. Ooh. Yeah. You, you go fancy. Yeah, well, the occasional fancy meal is good for the soul. And Rules Restaurant has their own estate where they do their own hunting, and it's grouse season. Is that like a bird? It's a bird. It's a bird. Remember in Downton Abbey when they were out shooting the birds? No? I assume a scene like that happened sometime in the first two seasons that I've seen. Yes. The the menu online says you may find shot in your bird while you're eating it. Oh. So chew at your own peril? Basically, yeah. That's <laughs> I've never eaten it. With, I've never, I've never eaten pheasant with a shot in, but I have seen it being shot because I live in the part of Scotland where stuff like that happens. Mm-hmm. And also, my granddad used to shoot at crows with a catapult. So, and, and eat them <laughs> afterward? No, it was like pest control. Crows are usually not that good to eat because they eat just kind of whatever they want, and whatever, whatever an animal eats, kind of becomes part of its flavor Uh Uh, which is why you can tell when the cows at the dairy have gotten into the onion field (laughs) and also why eating wild geese that are just sort of randomly terrorizing American towns fucking Canada geese is not really the best idea because they you take that back the Canada goose is a proud and noble bird no it's not it's a fucking pest it is a very large rat with wings. I'm not talking to you anymore. I think we all know that that's not true. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so does anyone actually have a favorite instructional cooking show? You know, where there is someone who stands in front of a cooker and tells you what to do and a nice light jazz plays in the background. And then there's always like a really happy looking man who comes home to eat his roast chicken at the table. I- don't remember the last time I've watched something like that. Like, when we say cooking shows, I'm thinking, you know, time's up, utensils down, Gordon Ramsay is calling you a donkey. Like, it's all... <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know that, like, if somebody says cooking show to me, I think competition. I, I wouldn't even occur to me to think of, like, Julia Stiles. Uh, Julia Child. Julia Child. Julia Stiles is a very different person. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I knew the moment it left my mouth. I'm like, that was not her last name. That was that was wrong, Julia. I am fond of and yet also incredibly suspicious of Giada De Laurentiis. One because she's Dino's granddaughter, so. so there was an episode of Giada in Italy where she was in Florence and she's like I'm cooking up all of this stuff that reminds me of my grandfather's film Hannibal so here's spaghetti with fava beans with the Chianti sauce (laughs) (laughs) and she's really really into the stuff that she's making and but there's also sort of the don't trust a skinny chef and she's real skinny. So that's where my suspicion comes in. <laughs> I actually just remember, I did watch one. The Barefoot Contessa. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's she's legendary as a Roxanne Gay will attest. Yeah. 
I love Roxanne Gay's love of the Barefoot Contessa. I think I love that as much as the show itself. In a garden. I, I remember very little about the shows, but I know there was a period when I would, would catch them on reruns on HGTV or wherever and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. She is super fascinating. Like, her life is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She used to work for the White House and then decided it was too much, so she bought a shop and then basically turned it into the this great uh, purveyor of sort of local food and then suddenly started writing cookbooks and then got her own TV show, but she still makes a roast chicken dinner every Friday for Jeffrey. Jeffrey. But I, I like that she's sort of unapologetically rich, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, clearly this woman leads an insanely good life where she can cook breakfasts for her friends who casually eat breakfast. Who has casual, like, breakfast formals at their house? Who does that? Right. Rich people do that, okay? And she throws these ridiculous parties and, you know, she always wears this blue denim <laughs> shirt with, like, the, the collar popped. Mm-hmm. And she always says, how easy is that? It's never easy. It's never easy, but then she's also like, if you don't have homemade tamponade, store-bought is fine. <laughs> she's not judgmental in that aspect. I like that. Right. Uh, but I like that she doesn't... She's kind of like a slightly more approachable Martha Stewart. Yeah. Although Martha Stewart has become like cool and approachable now. Like I, I'm fascinated by well, the evolution Well, hanging out with Snoop Dogg will do that to you. I'm just fascinated by the evolution of Martha Stewart to like has Snoop changed Dogg's her. <laughs> no, it's good to see two convicts coming together and making something of their lives. Yeah. But I do love it like, when she got out of prison and just like every now and then she'd be casually like making a table decoration or something and she would just bring up a thing that she learned in prison. <laughs> but you know, she always like that has had that edge of like, I'm never going to disobey anything you say. Mm-hmm. Because you will hurt me greatly. Yeah. Whereas I think with Aina, she would maybe not care as much because I feel like she would also be drinking. Oh yeah. Not like Sa- like uh, what's her name? Is it Sandra D? No, it's not Sandra D. Sa- uh, apologies. The one that drinks. <laughs> the, one the, one that's that- one, the one that's with Andrew Cuomo. The one that makes all that semi homemade shit where she's mostly oh, just Rachel drinking. Ray. No, 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 not Rachel Ray. It's Sandra Lee. Uh, Sandra Lee, that's it. Okay. Um, whose show is the greatest train wreck you will ever see. The, the basic concept is that everything she makes is semi-homemade, so it's 70% pre-packaged products and 30% fresh. Which also just makes them unnecessarily complicated, I feel. Yeah. Uh, but the best thing about her is she has a cocktail time every episode where she says, and now we'll just add one serving of vodka, and she's still pouring like four seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> like her, That woman's serving of alcohol is inspiring. The food is terrible, but I think you need to be drunk to eat it. And she yeah. understands that. And yeah. she's also First Lady of New York, because why not? Sure. Because why not? Um, there's also the pioneer woman, who I'm also super suspicious of, because she has turned herself into this, like, brand. Um, my mom this- really likes her show, which makes me even more suspicious of it. No offense to my mom, <laughs> but I find it's redrummed. Yeah, I will. I've actually tried stuff off her website, and it's really nice. Yeah, her, her recipes are generally fairly good. Although her pumpkin muffins were not good. I will say her really Cajun not good. is super tasty. I made it for a friend at university. He liked it, but he everything. Um, but I find her narrative really, really fascinating. 
I think the way that she has marketed and branded herself based on a very specific domesticated fantasy mm-hmm. to be interesting, super suspect, as you mentioned, um, and also like regressive as all fuck. Yeah. And also like the whole idea of, oh, I've just like, you know, I was a, you know, a city girl who just married a country bumpkin and it's like, okay, your husband owns like 40% of Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're married into like the biggest landowner family in the state. And also you were from Oklahoma anyway, so like you must have known this. Right. And Oklahoma city girl is not like real city girl. I say in my liberal East Coast bubble, in the northeast in the new england megalopolis but i'm not wrong (laughs) i'm really fascinated by the way that she not only markets herself but markets her family and her husband on that aspect like her husband she markets her husband as basically being like the ultimate kind of cowboy yeah which relies on a certain aspect of you know, really kind of old school like 1950s ideas of marriage Mm -hmm. um but in order for her to have the life that she does and for her to be this businesswoman, this very successful, very rich businesswoman who apparently makes millions a year just off the website, not even like the, the cooking show and stuff, like yeah. that relies on a level of partnership. And from what I understand, like I've read in interviews and stuff, her husband actually seems like a very nice person who's very supportive of her and, you know, gets involved in helping her run this business. But if you watch the show, all you see is him being this kind of like surly cowboy, which I think must have been deliberate. It must have been deliberate, although I have seen a couple episodes where he, where, like, they have packed the kids away, and they're cooking together. And he is not, he is not a natural in front of the camera like she is. Um, but he is definitely, like, in on this image thing. The kid, I mean, the kids have been a part of this whole narrative since they were tiny so and because that's another thing that's on her show as well is she she homeschools the kids and that's like a big part of the website yeah yeah so i i I feel like like she's clearly appealing to like the the, what um uh, laney gossip calls the minivan majority Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very successful because I think a lot of these shows do appeal to that, but they don't tend to package it as well as, like, like no no, no other chef that I know has written a self insert like romance novel memoir about their life, right? Which is just very strange to me. <laughs> it's very, yeah. I know that Trisha Yearwood has a show called Trish's Southern Kitchen or something like that. Uh, I've never watched it. Kids. I'll get sucked in by Giada. I will sometimes get sucked in by the Pioneer Woman. I will even get sucked in by Farmhouse Rules sometimes. And I don't remember the name of the woman on that show, but she has, you know, a multi-million dollar catering and food business. But she's just a farm girl from upstate New York. Like, all these narratives of just, I'm just a simple girl, look at me cooking my simple food, and I'm like, look at your fucking kitchen. (laughs) Look at the set that is your kitchen. So, I'm just saying, people, I'm just saying. 
<clears throat> the one that does that for me, and I think is probably if I had to pick one kind of celebrity chef as my favorite, it would be her, but it'd be Nigella. Because, mm-hmm. like, watching Nigella is a really fascinating thing because if you go back to her very first show, which was, I think, I want to say about 99, maybe 99, 2000, um, it's really quite low, very casual. Because it is actually filmed in her house with her family. Her husband, who at the time was dying of cancer, is in the background occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so are her kids. But she's very, like, it, it's very raw and unrehearsed. And I really love that about it. But as she got more famous and she gets more money and does more of these shows, it gets way more polished, way more um, evidently based in selling a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Which I think a lot of cooking shows do. I think that's almost kind of the driving oh, force of You too can be a domestic goddess. Nigella's book, first book, was literally called How to Be a Domestic Goddess. Right. Um, so, you know, this is nothing new to her. Uh, but I, I, I liked it more when she was just kind of, you know, like this woman who walked around barefoot in her kitchen, just casually throwing food together. And, like, when they have a party scene it clearly seemed to be people she was actually friends with and not people that may have just been hired to pad out the room right and she's but she's even done some of the things that like I I see a lot of chefs doing nowadays especially now that we're in this particular fad of quote unquote clean eating which is where she tries to do the healthy book Mm -hmm. and it's almost like I, I don't watch you for that right I watch you because you don't give a fuck about that please stop trying to pander to what is supposed to be the end thing in food right now because it just seems so disingenuous. I don't need to see another chef guilt tripping me about putting butter in my fucking cake. It's right. supposed to be in the cake. It's a fucking cake. Because like the domestic <laughs> goddess fantasy, it's pretty insidious, but it's that you too can make homemade pasta and look like Nigella Lawson. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is when you watch the first couple of seasons of her shows... She doesn't look massively glamorous. I mean, she's naturally very beautiful. And she clearly has this very well-off life because she comes from, you know, an, a literally posh family. Her dad is a lord and a really nasty man and he used to work for Thatcher. But, you know, she comes from money mm-hmm. and didn't hide that. But she's also very happy about, you know, it not being a showy experience. Because in my experience from, you know, hanging, you know, from the actually posh people I've met, they're not interested in sort of rubbing it in your face mm-hmm. or making a big deal out of it. Whereas as the show goes on later, you do get the feeling that, the, the, um, I think she's on the BBC and then it went to Channel 4, but you get the feeling that they have said, we should, you know, amp this up and make it look glossier and fancier because people like the idea of that fantasy more. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't find that as interesting. I would rather just watch a show about a really cool woman who likes cake. <laughs> yeah. And her cake yeah. is very good. She has the greatest chocolate chip cookie mm. recipe ever. You know who I miss? I miss the two fat ladies. Oh, I like them. That's like proper old school poshness as well. But like yeah. posh in the way that not necessarily look at my money, but posh in like, look how many animals I can kill and feed to you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. The first time I had pheasant was from a old fat ladies or a two fat ladies recipe. It was really good. It's really, really good. 
I really like food, you guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, like the, you know, we, we're talking about all of these amazing women who show how you can make pasta without breaking a sweat. And of course you can make an egg yolk ravioli and still have your hair and makeup perfect. Lies. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. But if you talk to people about, um, about their favorite instructional cooking show, I will bet you all of the British money I have right now, which is, as stated earlier, one pound eight, that they'll say Elton Brown and Good Eats. Am I allowed to admit that I kind of went off Elton Brown when I found out he was a Republican? He is? Yeah. Like, pretty hardcore, like, conservative Christian Republican. Oh. Sorry, did I ruin that for people? <laughs> I still kind of like him, like, I, I, I appreciate that he... Um, I mean, uh, I have to admit, I like Iron Chef America quite a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, like, wait. What, there's nothing more exciting than watching a cooking show with lasers. And wait a second. Mm-hmm. I'm just processing. Motherfucker. Never meet your heroes, people. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> Yes, Iron Chef America is great. He can talk fast enough to sort and, and is knowledgeable enough to keep a good patter going. And I do enjoy his sadistic side on Cutthroat Kitchen. I really, really enjoy that. He's Republican. In fairness to him, he he no longer goes to the Southern Baptist Church because he wouldn't stand by their anti-gay stance. So that's nice. Um, but, you know, like, I really don't think you should have to be having that great an argument with yourself over maybe having to vote Democrat once in a while. Mm. But yeah, Iron Chef America's fun. So Iron, Iron, America's Chef, fun. Iron Chef, I think, may have been the first Western cooking show that I really... Like got sucked into. I think the original one as well. Like there, there's something about the original Japanese formula of like it's a competition, but it like there's a whole show around it where they don't even pretend. You know, like yes, parts of it are scripted, like the chairman and whatever. But it had such a great setup. I mean, it's just knowingly stupid as well. Like, you don't throw that many lasers and smoke machines into a cooking environment without knowing how dumb it is. Oh, look, forget <laughs> smoke Like, it's the ice cream machine. I remember stumbling on a website where, like, there's this big meme of the ice cream machine. Like, Iron Chef, and the list of everything they've used the ice cream machine for, including, like, pickles and fish, and essentially any ingredient of the day goes into the ice cream machine. Yeah. That ice cream mas- machine has seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes it works, too. I mean, the they never deliberately fuck with the stuff so that it does not function. But what I mean is sometimes the, the random stuff that goes into the ice cream machine actually turns out to be a functional dish. But remember one of the original Japanese Iron Chefs, part of his presentation was also like writing the menu in old-style Japanese calligraphy, like with a brush on a scroll. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. 
I yeah, I love the part, and I actually like the American one too. I'll be honest, half of the reason I start watching the American one is that I was a fan of Mark Dacascos as a like a martial arts actor. Yeah, that's fine. I just that's... like anyone that can scream about like mangoes as excitedly as that man can. <laughs> The original chairman was great, though. Mike Dugascos was good, but the original chairman is just... He was great. Yeah. It's just such a fun show. Like, they really get that the showmanship... Like, the show, the entertainment part of it, I feel. I think that's why it was so successful in Japan and there. Because, yeah, it's about the food and the food's pretty. But, like, you know, it's still a show. People are sitting down for a half hours or however long it was. It was an hour show. It was like, an entertainment. Hour. Yeah, entertainment on TV. So let's put on a show. And they did. Yeah, it it makes me sad that in the the music licenses for a lot of the music they used in the Japanese original flavor Iron Chef have expired. So if you can find them being re-aired, it's with different music and it's just not right. It's just not right at all. Am I allowed to admit that I don't like this Bobby Flay man, but I don't know who he is. I just don't like him. He's kind of like my Tom He Brady. has a very punchable face. Oh, and also he was really nasty to um, Alexander Cabot from SVU, who he used to be married to. But he's like, like I know, like I kind of know who Tom Brady is, but not really, but I still hate him, and I'm like that with Bobby Flay. Mm. <laughs> and I feel safe in that. Yeah, that's fine. I heard one of the draw of Iron Chef, and I think this was true for both versions because they got, like, legitimately, you know, like, really big-name chefs and restaurants participating in both versions, and it's that a lot of the time the secret ingredient was something really pricey, but whatever they didn't use, the chefs were allowed to take. Yeah, I heard that, too. The show, like, supplied them, essentially, with caviar and, you know, like, rare fish and things like that, rare ingredients. Yeah, I read that the, the Japanese show would give the chefs, like, a short list of here is what the potential secret yeah. ingredient might be and so then they would order things and Morimoto's like yes I need 50 kilos of truffles please <laughs> I think that's true for the American one because like I mean a complete surprise would probably be a little bit more of a mess which you know yeah. you could enjoy while watching but probably they need a little more structure. So I heard that, yeah, that I think they get a list of three to five and see one of these is your secret ingredient. So they have mm-hmm. at least some idea of what they're doing. That, that sounds like the DVD ordering service at my university where my professor will just be like, yes, of course I need this 12 DVD box set of the early films of classic cinema. Why would you <laughs> ask that? And then the university just orders it. <laughs> it's like, I need to take advantage of this. What do I need? <laughs> So, was Tom Colicchio one of the Iron Chefs? Do you American Iron Chefs? Do you remember? Who? Um, the Top Chef. I don't think so. No. Was it just Top no. Chef? No. The okay. Iron Chefs were Bobby Flay, Cat Cora, Morimoto, uh, Mario Batali, Cat Cora, Jose Garces, Michael Simon, Joe F something Italian, um, <laughs> Jeffrey Zakarian. And uh, Alex Gernichelli, and I think I'm missing one. Stephanie Ezard, according to Wikipedia. Oh, that's right. She she won Iron Chef Gauntlet. I know and, there was at least I think I want to say one Canadian winner. I remember oh, as like a guest. 
mm-hmm. challenger. I like that. Like the child, the, that, oh, that was the other thing, right? Like they had the iron chefs and then they had the guest challengers. And yep. I wonder, cause I, like obviously they know in advance who the iron chef is, but I love that the other like two or three still have to show up and stand there. I think that's pre-filmed, yeah. isn't it? Or do they actually stand there? I hope so. <laughs> usually you, you see them at the beginning of the battle, like, the challenger comes out and says, I challenge Michael Simon. And Michael Simon, I mean, first there's the dramatic pan and the music's like, oh, (laughs) and Michael Simon looks very stern. And then he hops off the pedestal and you see the other two in the background and then they go away. And I remember when films before they actually start the battle. I mean, it's probably true. It's more fun to imagine the other one. So, uh, yeah, I remember when Jamie Oliver was like the competing chef, and just the way he strides out, and then you realize quite how short he is compared to everyone else. And then, like, what was it? The chairman makes a comment, but like, on well, England, they drive on the other side of the road. But are you ready for the challenge today? And it's like that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> Where did that come from? From bad writers who could not make it on Comedy Central. I mean, I have to admire Mark Delacos for being able to, like, say some of that shit and not, like, roll his eyes while doing it. Like... Acting. Acting. Yeah. <laughs> acting. I I saw a behind-the-scenes special where Kat Cora was remembering about one battle where the lid came off and it was like, a whole pig each. <laughs> and, and both she and the challenger were like, hold up. It'll take us an hour to butcher that fucker. Like, there's no time for a battle. You have to take that down and dismember it so that we can actually, like, cook with it. <laughs> and production was like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> So like three hours later, they actually started. They didn't start the battle until like nine p.m. Oh god! <laughs> you know, I wonder because they must have seen the list of ingredients and figured, oh, it'll be pre-butchered. Like, I guess right. it didn't even occur to them the production would screw that up. <laughs> like, did they not consult the chef of like, can we give him an animal like that hasn't been dismembered yet? Apparently I know not. when one episode did they not give them like an? I think it was an elk or something. It was like a whole elk. I, uh, <clears throat> oh. It would be fun to do that show. I mean, I'm not nearly good enough or trained enough. It would be fun to do, but I'd be terrified of getting some kind of seafood. So I don't like seafood that much, so I don't know how to cook it. So like here, have some mussels. And you have to make like a full course dinner with it. So like here's the ice yeah. cream machine. I guess you're getting mussel ice cream. Right. How how the fuck do you de-vein a prawn again? (laughs) Right. Exactly. I I watched some MasterChef once. It can't be that hard. No? Okay. (laughs) Oh, apparently yak was uh, a secret ingredient on one of them. Huh. Lots of pressure cookers, I would imagine. Yak seems pretty tough. I love that the the American show was launched with a special in which the American Iron Chefs competed against the Japanese Iron Chefs. Yeah. I just want Iron Chef, but with more drinking. 
You know, yeah, I'm going to flambe this elk and I'm going to drink at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they do that. <laughs> I would hope so. Like, look, they're there for hours. Like, they've got, you know, sous chefs and whatnot helping out. They'll, they'll probably chug it away at that. The secret ingredient is wine. Oh, that, that was... Later, your five dishes, chef. Well, there's a funny story <laughs> behind that. <laughs> I made you a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it's wine and wine and an olive. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Yeah. How much of what defines this particular kind of cooking show and this domestic ideal do you think is just really, really sexist? Oh, I mean, it's it's sexist in a couple of different ways. Because the instructional shows tend to be hosted by women and they're definitely pitched towards women. But in the shows that are like professional chefs that are competing against each other, the professional chef world is overwhelmingly dominated by men. Mm-hmm. So more of your competitors on Iron Chef were men. More of the winners of, there was only one female winner of the next Iron Chef out of, I want to say five seasons. Um, and having actually watched the season that Alex Gornishelli won, um, they, I think they engineered it so that there would be a female winner because it's still reality TV. And in general, I think Cutthroat Kitchen tends to be, at least to the viewing eye, tends to be pretty fair in its judging. Like, like I asked for a deviled egg and this is not a deviled egg. So you have to go tends to be pretty fair in terms of, of gender. It's still there are more male competitors. I think they do make an effort to get as many female and competitors of color as they can. But I mean, it's just the the population pool they're drawing from. And and then we also have like the competitive ones like say Hell's Kitchen mm-hmm. which has like I'm looking at the list of the Americans House Kitchen winners. Like it's a it's a mix. There's there's women in the winners. Yeah. And the runners up, but I wanna say that Hell's Kitchen usually does start off at least starts off with an even gender balance. Yeah, more or less, I think, from what I remember. And I believe MasterChef tends to as well. But it's this weird disconnect, as you mentioned, like the world of professional chefs is by and large this, you know, ultra macho screaming at each other, brandishing knives, chopping up meat. Look how manly I am, kind of primal, very male dominated business. But we still associate cooking and domesticity and that particular kind of neatness and niceness Mm -hmm. with women, white women, very well off, well dressed white women who never seem to get a drop of mess on their clothes when they cook. Yeah. Well, I think that's why the disconnect between, you know, the instructional and the competitive, the competitive kind of representing more the actual world of professional, uh, you know, professional cooking, but uh, the instructional ones are all like the, you know, like, remember, remember the way 
in which people like the press and, and online commenters talk about Nigella Lawson. And a lot of the time, if you look up write-ups on Nigella Lawson's shows, there'd be like discussions or accusations or discussions on the way her show's almost called porn just because she's beautiful, a beautiful woman. And be like, and there's Nigella in a you know, slightly unbuttoned top, smiling and, and presenting you with a, you know, with slathering butter on a, on a piece of meat and in order to roast it like <laughs> and and I I think that's like played up because that's what expected of the shows right like even it certainly became that way you do notice that as the show goes on on top of it getting more polished it does get more noticeably lewd mm-hmm. like she's playing it up a little but it's almost camp when she does it you know right like I don't think it's necessarily like, the way it was, like, in the press in Britain, it was talked about as basically being filth. And it was like, she's she's cooking. Um, it wasn't like she was, you know, filleting a carrot or anything. Mm-hmm. She was just, you know, it was, a lot of it was editing. It wasn't really a choice for her. Right. I mean, it became more of something she would do later, because she was clearly, as you say, it was something that was much more expected to her when she was playing up. Right. And then you compare the, the, the modern, current spate of instructional shows with Julia Child and Julia Child was like man you can fuck up all you want like it's cooking no one's gonna die (laughs) so is that because the original shows were still aimed really at women so kind of young housewives maybe like if you're going back to the 50s you know like this this so it was expected that women would watch this and they're trying to learn how to like they're expected to be a, a housewife um, so they're trying to learn one of their duties of cooking. So it's it's kind of aimed towards them. And Julia Child's maybe motherly kind of, oh, it's okay, honey, it'll be fine, uh, is what's sold because, you know, they they felt comfortable with that and, and you know, kind of relaxed. But the new, sp- so the, the quote-unquote food porn ones are now, is it, who are they selling this for? Like, is it now towards a male audience? Because why? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think. I don't think it's men either. No. Then what, um, like who is which aside from women who are not sexually interested in women, why would Nigella Lawson's cleavage be of interest to me in a cooking show? Because it makes her more of a personality than the food. Yep, it's more about marketing Nigella than it is about marketing the food, or yep. her even as a chef. You know that that means that she can do talk show appearances. It means that she can, you know, maybe get a modeling contract or be big for advertising. I think that was what it was more about. But is it marketing her to me because, like, like I said, like if, if making her attractive is the idea is if you cook or like if you watch her show, you too can be the sexy. Yes. Oh, of course, yeah. And I think that the male equivalent of that isn't, you know, let's have Nigella's top come down an inch lower. I think it's the Jamie Oliver, Jack the Lad. Oh, all right, there's nothing feminine about cooking. Look at me go, kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's actually been a lot of that in Britain. There was a guy called Tom Carriage who was known for cooking pub food, which is basically like slightly more up-class pub food than you would actually get in the UK. Uh, he then lost a lot of weight, which was clearly this and he made good for him. But now all he does is cook. Um, he, he made a book called The Dopamine Diet, which the idea was foods that were natural and dopamine that would make you happy. And it's like, that's not how that fucking works, you con artist. Wow. He was also the, originally the judge, well not judge, he was the presenter of the, the Bake Off spin-off, Creme de la Creme, which was about the pastry chefs. He didn't touch a drop of the food. 
you like half the fun with the original Bake Off is watching Mel and Sue like quietly try and gorge themselves on cakes when no one's looking. It just he it began to feel like he wasn't even like he didn't actually have any interest in food anymore. And Which is that's really one of the more sad. Right? That's sad. Food is wonderful. Food is amazing. Isn't there something really cool about the fact that our bodies can take something as sort of junky and quote unquote bad? as cakes and burgers and stuff and turn it into energy. Isn't that amazing? Why do we think that's bad? Right. I will say that's one of my like my absolute hatred right now is the quote unquote clean eating fad. Mm-hmm. Which isn't clean eating. It is merely another way to guilt trip people, particularly women, into feeling bad about themselves and their bodies and the way that they eat and leading them down, frankly, a very dark and limiting path. But now it's being sold as a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if this thing has hit America as much as it's been here. Um, but there are women like... The biggest one in the UK is a woman called Ella Mills, whose um, cookbook is called Deliciously Ella. And she became very famous here for this cookbook and this blog uh, I think it became one of the biggest selling cookbooks of all time and what she was selling was basically an intensely limited diet based around what she claimed had helped uh, cure her of illness I can't remember what the illness was I think it was it wasn't ME was it but basically it was you know no gluten no wheat no dairy that kind of thing and but mm. oh but I've never eaten, eaten tastier food and I've never been happier and it sold immensely well even though the science was all bollocks there was a moment in the book where she claimed she didn't drink milk because milk was would leach the calcium from your bones and it's like that is that is the opposite. opposite okay okay so my mom was a dietitian and then was a professor of food science and nutrition for a long time before she retired. And we were chatting last night about bone breakage and osteoporosis and how I've never broken a bone in my life because I have really fucking heavy bones and I guzzled milk like nobody's fucking business when I was a child. And my mom was like, look, I told my students, osteoporosis is a childhood disease where the symptoms don't show up until old age. It happens because people did not drink enough milk as children. I think there are probably other reasons for it, but that's a big one. And you get into this whole thing of, well, I don't want to give, I don't want to give cow's milk to my children because it's not good for them. And it's like, yeah, by the time the consequences of that decision actually show up in your children, the parents are going to be dead, so you can't yell at them about it. She said her students really didn't like that rant that much. Mm-hmm. They didn't like thinking about their parents being dead. But, you know. <laughs> and that that that's not an argument that necessarily works for all ethnicities. Because people evolved in di- to process nutrients in different ways depending on the food environment they grew up in so like and and these are are, you know big generalities but Asian people tend to have a high level of 
lactose intolerance because you don't drink milk in those cultures. They didn't evolve to need to be able to process it. Whereas Northern Europeans, you drink all milk all the fucking live long day. Mm-hmm. So the point is drinking milk is a good thing if your body can process it. If your body can't process it, then it's going to be a lot more uncomfortable and, you know, maybe don't do that. But, but that don't say that it's because it leaches calcium from your bones. That That is not how science works. Don't do that to science. But that was what got me is that there was there seemed to be no fact checking going on in any of these cookbooks. And that was what got me was especially how a lot of this is marketed to really young people. Because stuff like this it always ends up playing, especially to young girls, young mm-hmm. women. It's a fad. Like, the moment this stops selling, and we're already seeing that, women like Deliciously Ella and the Hemsley sisters who are just insufferable, and they're the ones that push the, oh, I drink a nice healthy cup of bone broth out in the morning, and it helps make my gut healthier. And it's like, you're drinking fucking stock. You boil bones down, you get stock. It's not acting like it is a reparative, you know, um, ale for your your gut. It's not. It's stock. But we've already seen, like, now that the clean eating fad is beginning, you know, people are questioning it. They're saying, oh, well, we never called ourselves clean eating. You know, we never positioned ourselves as that. And it's like, well, yeah, you did. You happily jumped on that bandwagon when it made you a lot of money. I mean, if the next fad is suddenly, you know, oh, fish gives you cancer, you'll push, you'll jump right on that. It's bad enough we're already in this age now where we think gluten is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you need gluten. Stop acting like that you're you're super fucking special because someone told you that bread makes you ill. It's like, no, you're just paranoid. There are people who actually are gluten intolerant. Right, and you're making life a lot more difficult for them. I have have a friend who actually has celiac disease and, you know, she was in excruciating pain until her diagnosis and the, the change in diet. And being dismissed as, oh, she's just being trendy or whatever, like, that doesn't, she doesn't need that in her life. No. But that's why my mum has ulcerative colitis, which is kind of like Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. and gluten can really mess with her system. This is a thing that does affect some people. It's not the way that it has become processed now. You know, we, we haven't all suddenly become allergic to gluten over the past five years because a bunch of people are selling books about it, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of weird glamorization of this intensely limiting diet dangerously limiting I mean we've already seen the numbers on how uh, women being treated for orthorexia has gone through the roof because they've hopped onto this trend of thinking well these foods are clean which means that everything that isn't clean is dirty Mm -hmm. which is a horrible way to think about foods and you know what happens when you keep following that path you get women like Belle Gibson do you remember who she is? no so Belle Gibson was the Australian scam artist slash health wellness blogger who claimed that she'd cured four different forms of cancer in herself through healthy eating. Oh God. She didn't have <laughs> any of that, but she managed to make an awful lot of money in the process of making a cookbook and an app and going around talking about how, oh, the doctors had, you know, rid me off and then I managed to help make myself well again. Um which, you know, obviously didn't happen. And she eventually got caught, but not until 
you know, she'd already had a publishing deal and no one checked into any of these details. They just saw the fad and jumped on it. Mm-hmm. And all of this stuff inevitably ends up being tied to shit like uh, quote-unquote alternative medicine. You know, like fuckers who don't vaccinate their kids. Yeah. Or this, like, obsession with raw milk. Which I'm sure your mum probably has opinions on. My feeling on raw milk is that's what you need when you're making cheese and it's hard to find in Massachusetts. (laughs) But, like, there have been people advocating for years about we should have the right to drink raw milk. And every Mm -hmm. time it's made legal somewhere, a bunch of people get fucking ill. Right. Weird how that works. Weird how that works. It's the same with these fuckers that don't vaccinate their kids. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, no, no, oh you know who we haven't even talked about? And I feel like we have to now that we've come to this intersection in the discussion. Mm. Gwyneth. Oh, Gwyneth. So um, a, bo- a blog post went up on Pajiba this week. It wasn't written by me. It was written by my lovely colleague, Courtney Enlow. And it's about Goop's latest um, venture which is not necessarily food-focused, although we know that Gwyneth Paltrow has written probably the most depressing cookbooks ever. (laughs) Uh, They are so depressing, you guys. Uh, Her new fad is she's got a magazine out and they're releasing more products and stuff, but one of the things that she uh, pushed was uh, Yoni eggs. (laughs) But now she's pushing them under the... Um, insistence that they are good for women who have suffered sexual trauma. Leave people alone, Gwyneth. I, I will... Look, I've never... Visit, for years, I didn't even know Goop was the real name of the blog. I thought it was a snarky nickname that the internet had given it. And I'm, like, happy continuing to think that little of it. <laughs> I say on like celebrity like lifestyle brands and obviously Gwyneth Paltrow is kind of one of the great pioneers yeah. of that in this modern age and I was I had to do a lot of research by going on her website like go on her website and just look up the shit that they claim cause cancer basically everything causes cancer according mm-hmm. to you um, know what a- you know what causes cancer life mm-hmm. If you live long enough, you're probably going to get cancer. You know what the leading cause of death is? Being alive. Yeah, life. <laughs> like, have you considered never being born? As a cure for all your ailments. I think that's sort of how American healthcare work is supposed to work. Oh. <laughs> it's been a really long week, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I read this amazing article on the uh, it was New York Times, and it was about the woman who makes moon juice, uh, Amanda Chantel Bacon, who is basically like a, she's like Gwyneth Paltrow, basically. Um, but what sh- she's really hopped onto the the wellness brand and juicing and all these like weird smoothies and stuff that are full of like mushroom proteins and shit. And the the really fascinating thing that the article mentioned was the way that women like her and Gwyneth Paltrow and this kind of brand of quote-unquote wellness, which is really not well, we should say. Like, it's a horribly limiting and depressing and not that healthy way to live your life. But what Mm -hmm. they do 
are basically um, they've the and they've gone away from the the power lifestyle of you know working 18 hours a day and you know you live to work and now we've gone more to looking after ourselves but they've weaponized that to the point of like insidiousness you know how do you take something as you know frankly necessary as self-care and make it almost aspirational you make it by having smoothies that cost like 50 dollars to make and all her shit looks really disgusting by the way mm. like i'm going to send this uh it's uh, the, di- the the daily food diary of the woman who runs this thing called Moon Juice, God. and it is like we're not going to say anything. We're just going to let these two, and we will link it in the show notes because, oh man, this is depressing. She also just doesn't look like a happy individual. Her son is named Rohan. Of course he is. Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. What? What is happening? Wait, which bit are you at? I'm at breakfast. I'm at second breakfast. 9.30 a.m. I drink 16 ounces of unsweetened strong green juice. Which looks like pond scum, by the way. It does look like pond scum. Listeners, listeners, spoiler. She doesn't. <laughs> Nobody does this shit. Nobody She's does. trying to sell it to you. Okay. She doesn't need to sell it to herself. Strong green juice, which money. is my alkalizer, hydrator, energy, source of protein and calcium. No, it's not. And overall mood balancer. It's also my easy, lazy, and delicious. No, it's not. Skin regimen. I also take three tablespoons of bee pollen. Wait, wait, wait. What does bee pollen look like? I'm saying, I can't believe this bitch clicks on the website, but I need to know what bee pollen looks like. You can buy it. It's just like grainy. Yeah. Green. But it's, why? Well, because it's more hipster than honey. $18 fucking dollars. Really? Because I'm looking at 150 grams of uh, Canadian uh, raw bee pollen. It's 25 bucks. Well, that's Canadian. How much is in that? Activated cashews? How do you activate a cashew? Well, you tell it to get out of bed and then see if it will. I chase the- <laughs> I chase this with a shot of pressed turmeric root. <laughs> sure. Fuck off. But here's the thing, right? Like, the first rule of being a cult leader is you don't get high off your own supply. Oh, <laughs> right? But I, I genuinely... Taco Bell. <laughs> you know what gives me pleasure? Imagining what Gordon Ramsay would say to these people. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the thing is, like, I genuinely think at least, maybe not completely, but I think Gwyneth Paltrow does buy into at least the majority of the shit that she says. Like, I totally buy that she eats this awful food and believes that, you know, all of this shit causes cancer. And I do, I be- totally buy that she believes all of this stuff. Whereas, like, you know, Elrond oh, Hubbard. Fuck you! If I'm home around 3 p.m., I always reach for a coconut yogurt with cardamom, dried fig, walnuts, and apricots from a weekend farm visit, and a chunk of raw dark chocolate. I ferment big batches of coconut yogurt, make big batches of raw chocolate spiked with maca and any other medicinal herb I'm focusing on. <laughs> It's easy to do and makes for a potent fast snack food before the month. Oh my god. You know what I'm seeing a distinct lack of here, pumpkin? Meat. Like, 
I think even vegans would look at a lot of this shit and be like, darling, really? You know what I'm seeing a distinct lack of? You know, the, the time spent working or cleaning or doing any other things most of us do when we are not already millionaires. She is busy making coconut yogurt. Yeah, yeah. Well, she can keep doing that. I'm pulling this back to happier thoughts. Back to Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> My <laughs> idol. I, I love him. I He would call her a donkey and not in a good way that he sometimes does. Gordon Ramsay, I, I think it's like the only cookbook my husband and I own. Um, I haven't watched like any of these shows for a while, but I used to watch a lot of his like religiously. I love the original UK version of the F word. Mm-hmm. The original UK shows are almost always better because he's more natural and less like, oh, Americans love it when I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. They tried the American F word this summer and it just, it didn't work. It didn't, it did not have the charm at all. I mean, not having Giles Corrin stop by was his definite weakness. For those who are also fans of our other favorite competition show, uh, well, this used to be, um, so you think you can dance? He had Cat on a Cat Dealey on the mm-hmm. UKF word. Like that was charming. She was giggling about living in America and like having wine with her lunch, and everybody was like, "Oh, look at that British lush in the corner." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Didn't didn't he have her do a champagne fountain or something?" I don't remember, but maybe. Did he had her do some sort of ridiculous thing with booze? Probably. <laughs> There is a um, episode of the F word, an old one years ago from the British one, uh, where Tom Parker Bowles, aka Camilla's son, who is also a chef, buys a whole pig to see if he can cook every single aspect of it. <laughs> um, does not invite his mother to this dinner party, which I was a little sad about. I, f- I feel like Camilla would have given that a really good go. Oh, definitely. But like, there was things like. I think it was like heart hors d'oeuvres was one of them. And then he makes this big soup with all the awful. And it's like, right, there's the arsehole. Who wants to try the arsehole? <laughs> I believe part of the original UK effort was also the bits with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to go behind the scenes. They've, they've got four kids, I want to say. And uh, yep. different seasons, they do different project. He, uh, including raising animals specifically to be slaughtered. He said he wanted to teach his kids where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. And not be, like, completely separate. Oh, animals are cute pets, and this meat on my plate is something completely different and magically appearing in the kitchen. Which I respect. Yeah. Um, I think his daughter, one of his daughters now, actually has her own cookbook. Which I'm sure she got entirely through her own merit, but I'm glad that, like, she gets the chance to now, like, maybe scream at her dad about his cooking for a change. (laughs) You're a fucking disgrace, dad! (laughs) Because he is Scottish, so he has the right to do that. Yeah. The reason I really like don't mind his brand of screaming, and I think there've been you probably find quite a few interesting discussions of like whether or not it's abusive, is there's been points made that he doesn't do it at people where it can actually do harm. Like he's really great with kids. Yeah. On like Master oh, Chef. Master Chef is so adorable. It's so adorable. We we've talked about this before. Yeah. But he he definitely modulates his scorn based on how much you should know. Mm-hmm. So, like, the people on Hell's Kitchen are professional chefs. They should be able to make a risotto. Right. They should be able to cook a filet mignon and not have it raw in the middle. Like, the kids on MasterChef, he'll get frustrated with them when they're not 
when he knows that they know what they should know what they're doing. And the adults on MasterChef, you can definitely tell who is like, no, you are an arrogant son of a bitch. And you're like serving me raw salmon and saying, I meant it to be like that. (laughs) And Gordon's like, I'm not having this shit from you. So. Yeah. I really also noticed that with him, he's also, like, when he compliments somebody, like, you really notice that when somebody's, like, down on themselves, and mm-hmm. sometimes he's, he's like, don't do that. This was great. Don't, you know, don't stand there and tell yourself yeah. you're not good enough. Because, like, he, he really, like, notices and always, like, points out when people are, like, he's like, no, you have no reason to be insecure. This was great. Like, he'll give the compliment when the compliment's mm-hmm. deserved. So I think that's why I've always, like, enjoyed watching, because I knew I wasn't just watching, like, random abuse for the sake of it right yeah there was a kid on the last season of master chef junior who was one of those like presenting everything with tears in her eyes and like i i don't i feel bad getting down on a kid but i have seen how these kids often grow up into adults who constantly need reassurance and gordon was just like look Sydney (laughs) it was great stop apologizing for everything just as a matter of course you don't don't present things with an apology and after she left I was like I really kind of hope that your parents get you some therapy so you can help build up your self-confidence and your self-esteem because otherwise life is going to be kind of difficult for you and it's going to be exhausting for you and everyone around you. Odds are her parents are the reason this happens. Probably. Probably. It's like... And I wonder if it's a... You get praise for everything so you don't believe your praise. Until somebody is like... Here are things that you could actually do better. And you're like, oh, you're actually like giving me a critique. And, as opposed to... Like the quote-unquote millennial thing. If everyone gets a participation trophy. And then we're like, yeah, we know that means nothing. No wonder we're a bunch of anxious wrecks. <laughs> so I don't know. But maybe maybe actually seeing that dynamic in action on the screen will, will help prevent, promote some, some awareness in everybody. I hope so. <laughs> and, and despite my best uh, intentions earlier we still haven't talked about my actual favorite cooking show which was top chef <laughs> i've never actually watched top chef we do not get it in this country so oh my god well okay i guess go this away, is the one I should... i'll be honest i haven't watched i actually haven't watched master chef and i and i didn't watch um and i don't watch cutthroat kitchen but there was a period in my life when i like for about four years where i watched top chef religiously it was Top Chef and Project Runway were my two like best reality shows for a while. Um, but before actually I go off, Kaylee, can you explain Padma? Like a little bit? What is she? Uh, is she famous uh, for being married to Salman Rushdie? Rushdie? Yeah. Like that. That's mainly how I know her. I know that she is. I mean, I don't think she was really marketed as a chef so much when she was with Salman Rushdie. I think she was more the beautiful model at the time and like what the fuck are you doing with this guy um i do know that she has done cookbooks and stuff i think but yeah i think 
she seems nice, but she was never really a thing here. Yeah. Except as Mrs. Salman Rushdie. And like, how the hell do you keep marrying all these incredibly beautiful women? You can't leave the house. It's like Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe, right? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it seems to be the same the level brain. of like, respect towards them as well. So, when I first, I, I didn't know who she was when I first started watching, so I assumed she was just hired as, like, essentially, I'm sorry, but pretty face presenter. I found out later that she wrote a cookbook, so I guess, like, you know, they, they did, I, I'm sure she was hired for her looks, because let's face it, the show's kind of one of market looks, but, you know, she did have a cookbook, so, okay, I guess some somewhat related to food, although she was never, as far as I know, a professional chef, at least not before the show. Um, Tom Colicchio is the the professional chef kind of mentor. I really love Gail Simmons. Um, I didn't actually know before looking this up for the show that she was Canadian, but she's one of the regular judges. Yeah, Top Chef is like the single elimination competition. So rather than being like a single night, this is the one where they have 12-ish, I don't remember how many, like contestants, and they mm-hmm. eliminate once, one a night. And then there's always a break in the final three, come back like a month later for like a special final show, showdown. Um, every episode is like a challenge, you know, a secret ingredient type challenge. I think it always starts with like a mini one and then the main one later. They often have celebrity guests. I particularly remember Charlize Theron uh, being a guest around the time. The, the first Snow White movie, so I think she was kind of doing the, the promotion, it was part of like the promotional circuit. So they asked her about like being a queen and, and all that. So that was fun. But I, I it was a fun show. Because I really liked all the hosts and, and presenters and the the, the person it, it was they did like live in the house together. So there was that part of like the big brother brother kind of observed the drama in the fishbowl kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was that kind of mix of you know slightly salacious but also real like actual cooking like fun cooking that you get to see, which I think is what made what made it successful. And it had really good production value, so I always, um, I, I always thought it was a little bit snubbed once the Emmy started doing like the reality TV. I think it was actually has been nominated now a couple of times. It won, it won once. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but it keeps losing to the Amazing Race. <laughs> and then now it's The Voice. The Voice is the new Amazing Race. <laughs> and not RuPaul's Drag Race as it should be. Yeah, but RuPaul does have an Emmy now, which is so. great. And Donald Glover has two. Yeah, we didn't even touch the Emmys, but like, what a mixed bag this year. <laughs> mostly happy. I was mostly happy. Let's put it that way. Most mostly happy. Although Jason Isaacs remains to be the best. Mm. Yep. Best. Mm. We love you, Jason Isaacs. He's in something that's coming up, but now I don't remember. Death of Stalin. Yes, that's right. He's the one with the for some reason, Northern English accent. Well, he does what he well, can. Russia is, is north. He's yeah. playing Georgi Zhukov? Zhukov? See, I was close. Yeah, but <laughs> not in the, the first thing, which is I tried. Okay, now you're just nitpicking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can we just say that movie comes out when we all meet in person? Can we, like, try and go see it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. I just want to hear Alina just like, nope, that's not how that's pronounced. Nope, not <laughs> I, either. I don't nope. think I can sustain the entire movie on that. Like, it's I need to turn some things off. It was bad enough, like, the the Widowmaker levels of why are there American crackers on this Russian submarine? <laughs> it 
which is like the one thing I remember about that movie 15 years later. I can't say I actually quite admire the fact that they're not even attempting accents. It's just like no, you just just talk as you would normally, Mr. Tambor, Mr. Buscemi. Just just be it's okay. We don't care. We don't well, want any of you trying to do the nuclear vessels thing. So, well, do you remember um, in in the Phantom of the Opera movie where everybody's French, but for some reason only who was it? Yes. Richardson Miranda has like Richardson. the French. Yeah, Miranda <laughs> Richardson has like That's the so French weird. accent. Yes, and and Raoul had a very very middle American accent. It's great. Good times. Oh, it's good times. Yeah, we, we should do, we should go see this when it comes out together. Yeah, we can drink. Yeah, proper vodka. Well, I think you can t- you can take that into some cinemas in Scotland. Ooh. So, yeah, we'll, we'll find the right one. Right. <laughs> yeah, so food is wonderful. It's basically, and TV finds ways to make a lot of money on it. <laughs> And also Hannibal, like we should. Yeah, oh, Hannibal's yes. cookbook. Hannibal has a cookbook, which is what I love the most. And it's amazing. Well, one thing I kind of, would, a fun thing we haven't touched on is you watch all these shows. Do you eat when you watch cooking shows? Sometimes. Like, because it, it really is a little hard to watch. You know, there's that thing like when there's food on TV and you're like, hmm. Did you eat, did you eat when you watched Hannibal? Um, sometimes. I think... I think I stopped because I tend to eat a lot of th- things like meat with with a red sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Fitting. Was that a little so, too goth for you? <laughs> you were you were not that goth. So I generally did not, even though you know, like I made it myself. I knew what was in it because I made it. I knew it wasn't leg of serial killer. I knew that. I knew. I, well, I was reasonably sure the beer wasn't people. Although my favorite moment watching Hannibal was in season three when they're in Florence. And Bedelia goes and buys some obscenely expensive wine. And I was watching with my roommates at the time and Brendan worked at a high-end wine store. And he he looked at it and went... That's that's just fifteen hundred dollars in wine. That's fine. It's just fifteen hundred dollars of wine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and white truffles. Um, which here's how we're gonna wrap this up. Which cooking show would you would you think would you put Hannibal into and in what capacity? Oh, the temptation. Oh, Hannibal uh, on Chopped or Cutthroat Kitchen would be amazing. Can you imagine Hannibal on Cutthroat Kitchen and somebody tried to sabotage him? Oh my god. <laughs> that would Your competitor seems to have disappeared. We don't know somebody it. write that for me. <laughs> somebody write that. Yes. I kind of like the idea of him being on Iron Chef America just because, one, you know he wouldn't need a sous chef or a team. He wouldn't let anyone else near his kitchen. Mm. Two, the moment the floor reporter comes near him, the puns would start. <laughs> okay, and but... three, there's always a chance that the judge would die, and it may have been impulsive. See, I was also thinking Iron Chef, but I was thinking as the chairman and all the secret ingredients are secretly people and nobody knows. <laughs> 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 what is the secret ingredient? And he just sort of quietly goes, pork. <laughs> pork, comma, lung. <laughs> I 
I, we should also state that if you do read the wonderful cookbook by Janice Poon, it does have a warning on the back telling you not to eat your friends. <laughs> your enemies? Yeah. Eat your enemies. Well, she doesn't say anything against that. <laughs> and she also says spitters are quitters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have we, have we beat this topic to death? Well, I'm hungry now, so... So, yeah, yeah win. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been episode 60. Next month... We're all going to be together in the same place. And there will definitely be booze involved. Mm-hmm. We should figure out how we're recording that. Possible guest appearances by my husband. Yeah. Because we're all going to be in Edinburgh. It's going to be amazing. Woo! We're so happy, you guys. We're so excited. Very excited. So this has been episode 60 and we will see you all later. Good eating. Bye. What's our topic? Cooking shows. Food. Does Hannibal count? Sure. Yeah, obviously. Thank you for listening to Anglophies and Made It Fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglophies. You can send an email to Anglophies at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.